It is good to see you this morning, and it is good to be with you this morning. Um, Martha and I have spent the last couple weeks traveling, saw some family, spent uh, a great time at Lipscomb's summer celebration. It was fantastic. It was really good to get away, but it is so good to be home. And I want to thank Anthony and Robbie for doing such a great job preaching while I was gone. You're stuck with me today, but it's a new and improved me. And I'm really excited about being here because I want to share some news with you this morning that's a little bit personal in nature. And I don't do this very often. I'm a pretty private guy. But I want to share some kind of personal, exciting news today. Kind of exciting financial news in my life. I got an email last week from the office of the Senate of uh, Malawi. It's a country in Africa. And they want to transfer to me $7.3 million. But wait, it gets better than that. There's some guy in England, I don't even know who he is. He's made me the beneficiary of his will. I know. And all i got to do is contact some barrister over there, and they're going to transfer to me $30 million. But it gets better than that. There's some guy named W.P. Wong who lives in Hong Kong. He's the um, president of a very prestigious bank there, and he has a business proposition for me. His bank needs to transfer $124 million to America, but due to some um, international legal things, they need my help to do that. And Mr. Wong told me that I could have 40% of those funds, his bank would keep 60, and all I have to do is supply my social security number, my license number, my bank account numbers, and a few passwords. Now, I haven't done that yet. I'm holding out I'm holding out for a 50-50 split and when Mr. Wong finally comes to his senses I'm going to be 6 point or 60 point two, 60 million 200 thousand dollars richer and I want you to know I'm going to tithe on that amount I will so like a couple months from now, when you look at your bulletin and you see the offering last week was $6.2 million, that was me. <laughs> you know, we all get those kind of emails from time to time, right? And I read them and I wonder, does anyone really think that's going to happen? I mean, are there really people out there that think that somewhere out of the clear blue sky... Someone is just going to dump this tremendous amount of wealth on them. Does anyone really believe that would happen? It'd be quite a story if it happened, right? Well, it was quite a story, and it's a story that Jesus told. We call it the parable of the talents, and we're going to look at that story this morning. And the reason why we're going to look at that story is I want to spend the next couple weeks sort of setting the table for some things that are coming up here at Bay Area, some things that I'm kind of excited about. Just going to tease that with you for a minute. But uh, this is what Jesus has to say. It's in Matthew chapter 5 about the kingdom. Matthew 25, we're going to pick it up in verse 14. Again, it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. 
To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. This story begins with unbelievable good news. The text there calls these men servants. The word is actually more of a slave idea. It's the idea of a slave. These, these are three men that really have no money, no property, no prospects. And the master comes in and says, I'm going to give you this unbelievable opportunity. Now we know what a great storyteller Jesus is. And one of the first things that his audience would have mentioned, noticed when he told this story is the enormity of the sum that this master is giving to these servants. A talent was the largest unit of accounting in Greek financial transactions. A talent was worth 10,000 denarii. A denarius was the uh, wage of a, 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 daily, a daily wage of the common worker. And it's a little tricky translating that into our economy. But I read one uh, commentary who said um, that a uh, talent in those uh, in that system, if we were to translate that into 2018 United States of America, it would equal about two million dollars. That's one talent. The one talent guy got two million dollars. So it's like these three servants—they've they've hit the Powerball, right? And the idea was evident to these three servants that even though this wasn't their money, they were going to be rewarded according to what they did with the money. Now, before we really get into this, I don't want you to miss what I think is the most obvious part of this story. And we don't talk about it much, but it's really obvious, and that is the master in this story is staggeringly generous. He's not just a generous master. He is over the top. This was, a, this was amounts that really been hard to wrap your mind, mind around. The story begins with the master giving these servants something they don't deserve. This, this story begins with grace. As we work through this thing this morning, I, I want to do it by asking you some questions. And I want to use the questions to kind of decide, what's Jesus trying to teach us? Okay, he's, he's, he's telling a story, but why? What's he want us to know? So I'm going to ask you some questions this morning as we work through this. And the first question is, what have I been given? And I'm talking about the good things. And since we know that every good and perfect gift is from above, the real question is, what have I been given that comes from God? If I was doing a, a blessing inventory, all the things that God has given me, what would be on the list? Now, you're alive. That's worth something, right? That's a gift from God. There's things that you're able to do. Some things you're able to do extremely well. Romans tells us we have different gifts according to the grace given us. There are things that you are skilled at doing. Some of you are really good at singing, being creative, being organized, planning, Listening, relating to people, those are all gifts from God. We have a measure of health that we enjoy. 
We have a measure of mental health that we enjoy. You know, we're in touch with reality. Most of you. Most of the time. The older we get, the more we learn. You know, our society sort of looks down on people that get older. The Bible says that's a good thing. Gray hairs crown splendor. So those life experiences, those things that we've learned as we get older, those are gifts from God. Then you have financial resources. We've talked about this before. Compared to the rest of the world, when we talk about finances, those of us living in America, and I think we'd all agree we've been given much. And then, if you're a Jesus follower, it really gets serious. If you're a Jesus follower, then you've been given forgiveness of sin, eternal life, and purpose and, and meaning to your life. So the answer to the question, what has God given me? Most of us realize it's much. We've been given much. Then the question becomes, what will I do with what I've been given? I want you to notice the word that Jesus uses to describe this master's generosity. He said the master entrusts to these three words. In other words, it's not just something that the master is doing for the benefit of the servants. There's some other things going on here. It's part of the master's grander, nobler plan. And I think one thing this, this story tells us, and I put it on the board here, is whatever the Lord gives me now, he's going to ask me about it later. And I think that's a biblical principle. Whatever God gives me now, one day he's going to ask me what I did with it. Well, my mind, my body, my imagination, my sexuality, my money, my time, my energy, my stuff. What God gives me now, he's going to ask me about it one day. So, what do we do with what we've been given? Let's go back to the story for a minute. There it is. The master gives all this money to these servants. You notice the instructions that the master gives the servants. You don't notice the, the instructions. He doesn't give them any instructions. He doesn't tell them anything as far as what to do with the money. He doesn't say open this business. He doesn't say invest in this fund. He's giving these three men this incredible freedom. And what he's saying is, I want you to take some responsibility here. I want you to plan. I want you to dream. I, I want you to, to risk, to try, to dare. Apparently, he doesn't just want these men to grow his money. He wants his money to help grow these men. God wants you to dream about how you can serve. Three servants get this wonderful opportunity. Two of them go to bed that night and their mind is racing. They are so excited. They can't wait to get started dreaming about, thinking about what they might do with this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Look at verse 16. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put the money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents. And I love that Jesus put in there they went at once. These guys are serious about getting started. They can't wait to begin. You know, maybe the master is going to change his mind. Let's get going on this thing. They're serious. 
But when the third servant went to bed that night, his mind's not racing. Look at verse 18. Next morning when he got up, he went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. And from that day forward, from the day he dug the hole to the day the master returned, that third servant's life didn't change one bit. Nothing changed about that life. In fact, you could go back before that. That wonderful opportunity, that huge gift, didn't change that guy's life one single bit. It didn't prompt any dreams, any dares, any risks, any excitement. It's an incredible gift. It doesn't change him at all. Now, usually when we think of sin, we think of things that we do, sins that we commit. But the Bible says a lot about what we sometimes call sins of omission. Things that we don't do. The love I don't offer. The words I don't say. The help I don't give. The gratitude I don't express. The, the risks I refuse to take. The sin of this third servant. It's a serious sin. But it's not a sin of what he did. It's a sin of what he didn't do. He didn't turn his life into this bold adventure for the Master. He didn't say, yeah, count me in. I'm going to do something exciting with what I've been given. And notice this isn't a one-time failure. Every single morning he wakes up, the talent's still buried in the ground. He still has the opportunity to dig it up. He still has to go through this thought process. Boy, I got this tremendous gift, this tremendous treasure. I buried it in the ground, but I could pick it up today and I could do something with it. I could begin to make some kind of a difference. And every single morning, this guy says to himself, Nope, not today. I'm not going to dig it up today. Nope, I'm not going to do anything for the Master who gave me everything. Not today. And he does that every day until the Master returns. You know, for years, I'm sure these three men have been doing pretty much the same thing in the same ways, probably getting the same results. Then the Master interrupts their lives. And those two men, the five-talent guy and the one-talent, or two-talent guy, they realize, I can't do the same things anymore. I can't go back to that life. My life's never going to be the same again. You know, I can't go back to that. Which leads to my next question. It's a little bit more personal. What do I dream about doing for God? What do you dream about doing for God? What keeps you up at night thinking, here's what I want to do. Here's who I want to help. Here's what I want to change. Here's how I want to serve. No, we all dream about things. We dream about our marriages and our children and our, our future and our, our retirement. What do you dream about doing for God? Do you dream about doing anything for God? Do you have any dreams for Bay Area? I do. <laughs> do you have any spiritual dreams for your family? 
for the neighborhood that you live in? David wrote it. We sing it. Is the deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you. Then in Psalm 130, the writer says, I long for the Lord more than centuries long for the dawn. What do you long for? What do you dream about doing for God? You know, Jesus is talking here to, to servants. I hope you dream about being a good and faithful servant to the Master. Which leads to the next question. What could keep me from being a good and faithful servant? Because that's what he calls two of these servants. He calls them good and faithful. What could keep me from being that? Interesting, when you think about the third servant, his problem isn't greed. That's not the problem. For the third servant, the problem's fear. He's afraid. He's afraid because the master's a hard man. He's afraid to take a risk with what he's been given. And we use this parable a lot of times to teach on stewardship, rightfully so. But I think this story that Jesus tells is really less about stewardship and more about taking risks. Third servant's a man who's he's afraid to take a risk. He's afraid to fail. And I suppose that just about all of us can sort of relate to him. I mean, we want to live this bold and exciting life for Jesus. But it's intimidating. And it's scary sometimes because maybe it won't go quite like I planned. And maybe something will happen that I'm not prepared for. So I get kind of afraid. But it wouldn't be called a risk if there were no... If there were guarantees attached to it, wouldn't be called faith if we knew how every step was going to play out. Jesus uses really deliberate language when he's telling this story. He says those first two servants, they went out. But when he talks about the third servant, he says he went away. The first two servants went to work. The third servant dug a hole. The first two servants won more. The third servant hid his talent. Significant choice of words that Jesus uses. Goes away, digs a hole, hides his talent. What's Jesus trying to teach us in this thing? What's that mean to me, living in 2018? There's a whole lot of layers to this story. But when you're talking about that third servant, I think Jesus wants us to realize that this is a guy who's lost sight of his mission. This is a guy who is so concerned about protecting what he has and not really even thinking about increasing what he's been given. Let me share with you an analogy that, that may or may not work. And this isn't really, this analogy is not going to make too much sense to uh, those of you who are still in school. But back in the day before they had ebooks and iPads and, and smartphones, they had these places called libraries. And a library was a place that you would go to get books. We know that, right? The purpose behind a library is to get books out of the library into the hands of people, into the minds of people. We all understand that. When I was in high school, I had the world's worst librarian. And my sister will back me up on this. Her name was Miss Eddie. 
She was about four feet tall. I think she was about 112 when I knew her, my, my four years. Um, her normal speaking voice was a strained whisper. No matter where you saw her in the hall, she talked like this. She was always talking like this everywhere. And her normal countenance was like I've been sucking on a lemon. Which is, hello there, Tim. Like she was like the most unhappy person I ever knew. But she loved the Pins Manor area high school library. In fact, her life revolved around the Pins Manor high school library. Every book was in the right place. Every magazine was on the right shelf. Every reference material was meticulously and, and carefully organized and categorized. She was a devoted disciple of the Dewey Decimal System. Again, it won't mean anything to you younger people. Because you've never had the joy of pulling out that six foot long drawer. You know, and going through the cards. But the Dewey Decimal System was a, was a way that in theory, and in reality, you could walk into any library and find any book in that library. Miss Eddie was serious about every book being in the right place. However, apparently pretty early on in Miss Eddie's career, she came to the conclusion that the biggest problem she had with her library was the students. In fact, she didn't like us using the library. And she hated when we got a book off the shelf. Because those students, they wouldn't put it back in the right place. They were going to get everything out of order. They were going to mess up her library. We weren't devoted to the Dewey Decimal System like Miss Eddie was. Now, we all know the whole purpose of a library is to get books into people's hands. We all know that the measure of a great library isn't about how clean and neat and orderly the shelves are. The measure of a great library is how literate, how well-read, how thoughtful the community is. Okay, make a jump with me now. Jesus says, hey, I didn't give you this great gift. I didn't give you this unbelievable opportunity for you to put it on a shelf somewhere. For you to dig a hole and bury it. Never share it. Never use it. You know, live life for yourself. The measure of a, a church isn't about what happens when we're in here. The real measure of church is what happens when we get out there. That's the real measure of a church. The world, believe it or not, our neighbors, they don't really care how neat our shelves are. And they don't really care how orderly our service is or how clean the building is. I'm not saying those things aren't important. They are. I'm just saying the people who don't know Jesus, those aren't the things they care about. It's when people get loved. When hurting people find healing. When hungry people are fed. When children are cared for. When the elderly are honored. When employees work like they're working for the Lord. When forgiveness is given, when hope is shared, when prayers are bold and faith is strong, when Jesus is lifted up, that's the real measure of a church. We focus so much on what goes on in here, again, rightfully so. 
But I think sometimes we forget to let our friends and our family know that, that God loved them so much that He gave His one and only Son. And if you believe in Him, you'll never perish but have everlasting life. And that's, that's kind of why we're here, isn't it? It's not to take what God's given us and dig a hole somewhere. Put it on a dusty shelf. Wait till the Master returns. God wants us to take advantage of what He's given us. To share the gift. To increase the gift. Which leads to my last question. What do I want to hear from God when my life is over? See, the problem with the third servant, he had lots of excuses. Now, wait a minute. I knew you were a hard man. Now, wait a minute. I was afraid. Now, wait a minute. I didn't lose anything. I mean, I've played it safe for a long time. Isn't that worth something? I think maybe we've played it safe for too long. Myself included. I wonder if maybe we individually and collectively aren't guilty of playing it safe. Just waiting for the Master to return. You know what Jesus said to those first two servants? Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your Master's happiness. Notice what He says there. You've been faithful with a few things. The five-talent guy had like $10 million. I wouldn't call that a few things. But the Master says, that's nothing. I wonder how many things God considers much. Come share your Master's happiness. I wonder how much happiness is in God's happiness. I'm a pretty happy guy. But I'm curious to know just how much happiness is awaiting for me and God's happiness, sharing His happiness. Listen. This is the only life we get. You're living the only, the only life you get. This is our one chance. What's your plan? What's your dream? Let me finish with the same question I began with. What have we buried? What have we taken and buried in the ground? Is it a plan? Is it a dream? I think God's a dream giver. Have we buried a dream? I think when we realize the enormity of the gift that we've been given, the cost of the gift that we've been given, I think the last thing we would do is dig a hole and, and bury it somewhere. Now maybe today you've just been afraid. Afraid to take a risk. Maybe it's time to ask God for some courage. To actually make a commitment. Dig that thing back up. And start using it to do something loving and something gracious and something good in the name of the Master. Maybe it's time to dig it up. And use it in a way that the Master will one day say, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll put you in charge of much. 
come and enter your master's happiness. What a wonderful thing to dream about. What a wonderful thing to look forward to. What have we buried that we really need to dig up today? As church family, if we can help you in any way, pray for you, pray with you, rejoice with you. There'll be some people here at the front of the auditorium. Come and meet us there. Let's stand and sing.